Hello, and welcome to the seventh episode of The Sulfuric Secrets, a horror podcast from Between Two Worlds. The Sulfuric Secrets is told over different time periods and locations as part of an overarching narrative. You may have heard about this case in the news. In fact, to this day, you can still visit their website. But you might not know the true story behind the 1990s death cult, Heaven's Gate. And that's because the truth is one of the sulfuric secrets. Episode 7 of the sulfuric secrets is called Heaven's Gate. Please be advised that this episode contains mature content that might not be appropriate for all audiences. address seemed the unlikeliest of places, a mansion in a quiet, affluent suburb of San Diego. 21 women and 18 men had taken their own lives. There couldn't have been a more baffling and nihilistic chapter to end the 20th century. Police arrived on the scene of a hilltop mansion in San Diego's suburb of Rancho Santa Fe to a completely bloodless scene of mass death. stench was described as overpowering, as the largest mass suicide to ever take place on American soil had taken place in multiple stages. Two groups of 15 and a final group of nine. Each group would watch the previous group overdose on a lethal dosage of phenobarbital and then meticulously and ritualistically remove the plastic bags that were designed to assist in asphyxiation from their heads and then neatly arrange the body in black clothing and purple cloth. It was March 26th, 1997, the Heaven's Gate suicides. Six days beforehand, on March 20th, their leader, Marshal Herf Applewhite, had recorded the final exit tape. His bug-eyed, unblinking face delivered an insane, incohesive rant that him and his followers would be evacuating Earth. The video said that the 39 disciples would leave their earthly bodies below on Earth and transcend into their next level bodies to the comet Hale-Bopp above. This was exactly 51 years to the day 
that Jack Olson saw thousands of birds from above fly to their watery depths, down below to the Florida continental shelf. America had been broken in a small way. The media scrambled for easy, digestible, and non-threatening answers. Applewhite's cult had existed for decades with no success. And suddenly, the mysterious technological superintelligence that the media called by many names, like the internet, the infobarn, and the information superhighway, had helped to recruit an entire team. Applewhite wasn't just crazy. There was more to this story. The first explanation the media arrived at was religion. Religion informed Applewhite's early years. Born in the small Texas town of Spur on May 17, 1931, his father was a Presbyterian minister. In 1948, at age 17, he enrolled to Austin College in Texas. On the fast track to becoming a Presbyterian minister like his father, he studied existential and moral philosophy. In the following years, he trained to become an ordained minister at the Union Theological Seminary of Virginia in Richmond. But once the 1960s rolled in, that's where people started to notice the changes. After his death, for the period before 1965, he was described by acquaintances as a novice mystic, had once been a seminarian, and could quote the gospel front to back. But afterwards, Patsy Swayze, the mother of the actor Patrick Swayze, once recalled that actors in Applewhite's theatre group noticed he was beginning to act strangely, talking about UFOs and preaching this strange religion. From there came the development and constant redevelopment of the Heaven's Gate religious philosophy, eventually leading to the belief system that killed 39. This leads us to the second major theory, an uncomfortable obsession of the American media. Sex. The Daily News explained Heaven's Gate and the character of Applewhite as in the midst of a nervous breakdown prompted by a sexual identity crisis, he began fancying himself a prophet. Although Applewhite was married until 1968, by all accounts, Applewhite was gay, or at least bisexual. This is an important point because when Applewhite met Heaven's Gate co-founder Bonnie Lou Nettles in 1972, the relationship was described as intense, inseparable, codependent, but completely platonic. Like the rest of the Heaven's Gate story, the story of them meeting had multiple versions. We may never know the truth of how they met. Was it the fulfilling of the prophecies of the many, many psychics that Nettles visited? The prophecies told of the arrival of a tall, light-haired, fair-skinned, and mysterious man. Or did they meet during Applewhite's near-death experience, where Bonnie Nettles, the nurse, revived him and said that God kept him alive? 
which imbued in him the prophetic command for a new age. Others say they just met in an acting troupe. Regardless, the combination was palpable. Nettles had an avid knowledge of the Bible and astrology. She was also aided by numerous helpful spirits, one of which she described as a 19th century monk named Brother Francis. Despite the ridiculousness of the scenario, two years later, Nettles and Applewhite had their first disciple. On May 18th, 1974, Nettles and Applewhite had returned from a 16-month pilgrimage with non-linear stop-offs in California, Utah, Montana, Idaho, New York State, and even Canada. They had recruited their first acolyte. She left her wedding ring and a note to her husband and daughters, telling them to just assume she was dead. Using their first recruit as the first block in a pyramid scheme, they recruited more and more members. And by the mid-1970s, the two had a solid idea of their religious ideals. Applewhite once wrote that modern religion is just the devil's tomfoolery. Man must break from all ties that bind him to this earth. Extraterrestrial biblical hermeneutics is what academics called it, or the ability to abandon your earthly body and achieve the next level body. It was essentially a belief in the Bible, but that at key points, aliens, advanced creatures, or interdimensional intelligences helped to advance humankind, both spiritually and physically. Therefore, the motivation of Heaven's Gate was to try and access the help of these mysterious creatures one more time. In 1985, Bonnie Lou Nettles died, which should have meant the end of Heaven's Gate. But they mysteriously re-emerged in the early 90s with a large pile of cash that they had received from designing websites in the early days of the World Wide Web. But it was the use of the mysterious and unknown internet, then called the Information Superhighway or Infobarn, that led to the real recruitment. After sitting for so long, since 1858, the flayed man's brain had adapted to its new existence on the ocean floor. After evolving and expanding its roots to the very edges of its container, it would make sense that it would eventually get bored with its surroundings. And so, it raises the question as to whether Marshall Applewhite reached out to the information superhighway or did the information superhighway reach out to him? The suicides shocked the nation, but the explanation of sex and religion fit into a comfortable narrative. It conformed to an uplifting, individualistic narrative of the dangers of an oppressive, hyper-religious household and how the closeted homosexual and occult-obsessed Marshall Applewhite was eventually pushed to the extremes in repressed expression by leading 38 people to their deaths. 
And that's it, sex and religion. The two taboos of dinner conversation to explain such a tragic event. But in their rush to explain what had happened, the American media skimmed over two details that explain the real story of Heaven's Gate. Sometimes it's important to take comfort in ridiculous stories because the truth, the truth is not comforting. But in order to tell you the truth, I have to take you back to 1948. Vice Admiral Desmond Lynch was running the US Nord operation at Pisces Reef Base. He had hired two competent people, Dr. Jack Olson and Charles Mandley. And he had also hired an idiot, Percy Crimson Menstyer. But the key to keeping what he did in the dark hidden was to hire an idiot. Hence, Crimson. Desmond Lynch was secure in knowing that a loudmouth with a propensity for exaggeration, drinking, and fighting couldn't keep a secret. But he could destroy the truth's credibility. As more and more bars heard Crimson's fanciful and ever-changing stories, whatever minor faith the barflies and petty criminals had soon turned to hostility. It began with the dismissal of the wild stories that Crimson said he heard in passing. About deep sea creatures, the cover-up of an engineer's murder, and occult rituals with skinned men. And it ended with Crimson in his twilight years, drooling and hiccuping uncontrollably as he grabbed patrons and begged them to accept what he had seen with his own two eyes. Wrong star sign, most of them thought, that heard of the Aquarius Reef Base, which was built in the 1980s. We'll never know if it was what Crimson had seen and heard, or the fact that he wasn't being seen or heard. truth that Crimson insisted, that the Pisces Reef base had been intentionally sunk to the bottom of the Florida continental shelf in 1950, was really sunk when Crimson sunk half a bottle of rose gin and barbiturates in a sweaty Bolivian hotel. In 1955, Vice Admiral Lynch was on loan to the US Army Signal Corps at the White Sands Missile Range. He felt far more at home here in New Mexico, in the heat and back in intelligence. His arbitrary title at this point was now Colonel Lynch. The sparkling, bright scenery of the dunes of the White Sands Missile Range hid many dark secrets. In 1945, humanity crossed a line that will never be able to be uncrossed. Trinity 
the first ever atomic bomb was detonated at the White Sands Missile Range. Leaving an inescapable black mark on reality and the world's energy field. Sex and religion were the easy answers the American media provided. But there were two other elements to Marshall Applewhite's life that would have done far more to explain the tragedy. Today, we're going to provide the first one. His military service. In 1955, Marshall Applewhite had been assigned to the New Mexico U.S. Army Signal Corps at the same time as Colonel Lynch. And during this time, he learnt the secret knowledge of the flayed man and the ritual of Mr. Rollo. You might be thinking that Colonel Lynch gave some sort of sinister instruction to the eventual doomsday cult leader. But the knowledge was imparted accidentally, not from any overheard conversation or misplaced documentation. You see, despite the latent homophobia, the media were on the right track in trying to dig into Marshall Applewhite's past same-sex relationships as a teacher and as a theatre aficionado. But they missed the one relationship that may have provided the answer in his creation of Heaven's Gate. His affair with Colonel Lynch. You've just listened to episode 7 of The Sulfuric Secrets. This has been a lot of fun to produce and research. I'd love to know what you think of this episode and format. And I'd love to hear your feedback. For those of you interested in the research behind this episode, I'm going to provide a list of sources in the Anchor and YouTube pages. Feel free to go down the rabbit hole. You'll be surprised at what you find. This has been a really big project for me, and if you like the work that I'm doing, feel free to show the love on Patreon. All amounts help me to continue with this work. Next week, episode 8 is going to finish the story of Heaven's Gate and explain the second sulfuric secret associated with the Doomsday Death Cult. Until then, thank you and good night.